Well, we are, we're continuing our series tonight, Faith in a Frenzied World. And, and, and something that I often make a point of saying to you guys is just the way that Scripture is honest about the realities of life that we confront in this world. Scripture, it, it really explain, explains life for us. It, it explains what, what, are the, what are the factors that are in this world that God has made but that is now fallen? What are the factors that are in us that cause life to, to, to feel the way that it does and how we respond to it? I, I think it, it's, it's really an apologetic of reality that the Bible has. This, this is a book... This is a book of reality. This is a book, as you, as you encounter the, the people in, in the stories in this book and, and in the Gospels in particular, as they interacted with the Savior, uh, we find ourselves here because this is just honest about a lot of the issues and, and the problems that we still face. And there are unique versions of those things uh, that confront us in the 21st century. There's a faster pace that they come uh, flooding into our, our lives. Um, but, but God's word and his gospel, it, it, it can just pick up any fact of human existence, anything that you will ever interact with in life. And it's got a place where it goes. It's got, a, it's got a, a place for how all of those needs and those longings and those hopes ultimately find their way to the Savior of our, of our souls. And so uh, we're going to be spending some time in this series looking at a, a variety of, of ways that we just experience the, the frenzy of life. We talked about just the, the chaos that's in the, the world around us um, last time. We're going to talk about stress uh, tonight, and, and we'll, we'll pick up some other topics along the way, things like distraction and loneliness and, and maybe even some of the pressures that come from the, the culture as we're, we're seeking to be faithful. And so we, we believe this in a world that's really noisy and, and opposed to God's truth. And so how do we, how do we handle that and, and walk faithfully in, in the age in which we live today? So that's going to be some of the things that we're, we're talking about. Uh, but I want to start here, right? How many of you, you'd say just your honest description for life right now is that you are stressed out? Right, let's see some hands. I, it was interesting because I, I got... <laughs> I got several text messages uh, this week asking for prayer, uh, which thank you for, for those of you who do, who do that, who just raise a flag and say, look, uh, life is tough right now and I, I need some help. But uh, it was kind of confirming what God was doing because I think this is going to be timely for us, uh, for the parents that are here and for all the students as well. Sometimes people can get the idea that stress is like an adult issue. It's something that later in life when you have real responsibilities that you're going to have to learn how to deal with. I remember talking with one dad a few years back and, and just about his his daughter and, and, and some of the things that she was experiencing. And, and he was saying something like, I, I don't know what the big deal is. You know, I, I don't I don't know what she's got to be worried about. She doesn't have to put food on the table. She doesn't have to pay any of the bills. Uh, it's like, well, you know, let me just humbly say, uh, it's not the energy bill that teenagers get stressed out about. But they have all their own uh, factors and, and needs that we, we all need to learn how to pay attention to. Here's, here's a little article from USA Today. It was titled, Teens Feeling Stressed and Many Are Not Managing Well. That's a big surprise, right? Um, Teens across the United States are feeling high levels of stress that they say negatively affect every aspect of their lives, a new national survey suggests. More than a quarter say they experience extreme stress during the school year, and 34% expect stress to increase in the coming year. Stressors range from school to friends, work, and family, and teens aren't always using healthy methods to cope. I love that. Uh, finds the latest stress in America survey from the American Psychological Association. Findings on more than 1,000 teens and almost 2,000 adults suggest that unhealthy behaviors associated with stress may start early and continue through adulthood. The report warns that teens are at risk of a variety of physical and emotional ills and potentially shorter lifespans than their elders if they don't act to reverse their current trajectory. 
Our study this year gives us a window into looking at how early these patterns might begin, says clinical psychologist Norman Anderson, the association's CEO. As a result of stress, 40% of teens report feeling irritable or angry. That's, that's never you guys, right? Uh, 36% nervous or anxious. A third say stress makes them feel overwhelmed, depressed, or sad. It's helpful to have those words kind of collected together because they could be different symptoms that are surfacing with the same underlying problem here, right? Uh, The report says stress appears to be affecting teens' performance in all aspects of life. In addition, a study about depression published in the journal Clinical Psychological Science found that rates of suicide attempts were significantly higher in adolescents ages 13 to 17 than in in emerging adults 18 to 23 or adults 24 to 30. Kristen Race, author of the book Mindful Parenting, says teens are generally honest about responding to confidential surveys. They're more honest in that situation than telling their parents how stressed they are, she says. When teens report their own level of stress, it is typically much higher than parents would report of their teens' level of stress. Uh, But I'm not reading anything that you guys uh, don't already know and experience because this is familiar for every single one of us in here. This is familiar uh, for me, but but where does it come from? One definition of stress is is that it's the experience of mental and emotional tension caused by demanding circumstances and people. Mental and emotional tension caused by demanding circumstances and people. And, And I think that word demanding is really helpful because we know this. Life makes demands on us. You feel that? There are people and there are circumstances that show up uninvited <laughs> and, and they, they call for us to do something. They, they call for us to, to deliver, to perform. And, and your heart begins to wonder, you know, what's going to become of me? Where, where does stress show up for you? you know, there's a variety of settings. There's stress at school. I was mentioned in the article there. There's a prof- uh, pressure to perform academically or maybe athletically. You know, the, just kind of the rate of uh, sports and, and practices and the, the high level of expectations that get attached to that and, and the significance that it's going to have in your life. Or you... you you, you, you feel that need to, to show up and to be awesome and to make a name for yourself in these settings. Uh, there, there's increasing hours of homework that's loaded onto you. There's this expectation, those of you who are in the later years of, of high school, to be uh, preparing for college and there's ACT prep to do. And, and it can feel like no matter what, you're, yeah, you're laughing because you know this, uh, you're always facing evaluation. You're always getting measured. There are numbers that are constantly being assigned to you that's telling you, okay, how are you doing right now at life? Uh, there can be stress at home. You feel the expectations of your parents. Um, sometimes you're not really sure what the standards are. That can feel unclear. It can feel like they're always frustrated with you. And you're not really sure what to do with that. Um, you know, some of you come from homes where there's divorce, there's brokenness that's touched your family life, and you're you're kind of moving from one situation to another. Maybe sometimes you're you're in between um, competing ideas as to what should happen in your in your family, and you're being used as evidence against your mom or your dad, and you're kind of placed in the middle of that. There's sibling strife that you encounter. Uh, there's stress in, in friendships and relationships. Right? There's, there's drama that's, that's familiar to you. You, 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 know, you, you. There's conflict that you're having to work through and figure out how to manage. There's different groups that maybe they're, they're a little bit at war with one another. 
and, uh, and, and when you're hanging out with this side over here, they're talking about this one, and you're like, well, I'm not sure that I feel that way about them, but okay, because you don't want to feel like you're going against the current of, of, of their discussion. Uh, there, there, there could be the burden of managing your own friend's sin and rebellion. You know, hey, don't tell my parents this, but... Or if my dad asks you, this is what you need to say, and well, it's just, they just added another weight that you're trying to figure out how to manage in that moment. Uh, there's the ups and downs of affections and romantic feelings and disappointment that marks you in these days, right? And, and heartbreak, all, all of that is just... It's just human experience, and it's the kinds of things that you're facing right now. And then we talked about last time what kind of the, the 21st century data overload brings into our lives, what, what was described as the, the, the continual present comes flooding in of information and news headlines and tragedies that are happening around the world that you're aware of alongside of kind of managing social media accounts and comparison and why haven't they responded? Why haven't they liked this post? What, you know, there's just so much that's whirling around in your world. The, the flood comes in and life begins to feel like it's out of control. Look at this thought from Edward Welch. He says, when we are aware that anxiety has registered at a physical level, we call it stress. Stress usually means that there's too much to do in too little time or the things we have to do are beyond our competencies. In other words, you can't do it. You're not able to do it. You're not enough. We hate the way that feels. And there's some reasons why culturally we hate that in particular right now. I'll get into it in a moment. But if you listen a little more closely, and that's what we have to learn how to do. Listen to what's underneath some of the things that we're feeling. You'll probably detect the theme of control. Stress is saying that life is teetering on the brink, right at the farthest reaches of your ability to maintain some control. What would happen if you really lost control? You don't know, and you don't want to know. Well, Jesus had a lot to say about worry and anxiety and cravings for control, the things that are underneath stress, and he's got a lot of wisdom and care for us tonight. So turn to Luke chapter 12. I feel it too. Luke 12, in, in this text... Jesus gives us a commandment not to worry. He says, don't worry. Don't be anxious. And that can feel a little bit like, oh, you know, gee, thanks. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll get right to it. <laughs> I'll get right to stopping it soon. Uh, it makes me think, I don't, I don't know if any of y'all have caught this on YouTube. Some of the parents might remember an old uh, Saturday Night Live sketch with Bob Newhart. And in it, uh, a client comes in to, to his office, and he's a therapist, and, and, and she's coming in with her issue, and he kind of explains to her, here's how we do our billing. We, we charge a dollar uh, per minute for the first five minutes, and then after that, we, we don't charge anything. Uh, most people don't feel like they need more than, than, than five minutes, though. And so he kind of lays that out for her, and, uh, and so she describes, you know, I've got this, I've got this inordinate fear of being buried alive in a box. And, uh, and, and he's listening. He's like, okay, well, I've got, I've got some counsel for you. Um, it, just two words. Um, and, and she's like, well, do I need to write these down? Takes out a, a, a pen and, and a notepad. And he says, well, you, you can write it down if, if that makes you feel comfortable. But most people are able to remember the counsel that we provide here. Are you ready? In two words. Stop it. Stop it. What were you, some kind of freak, right? Yeah, that must be so terrible to have to live with fear of being buried in a box. Why would you ever want to do that? Just stop it. And she's just taken aback, like, well, I feel compelled to do it. No, 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 don't go there. Just stop it. Uh, and sometimes it can feel like that's the kind of counsel that we receive. You know, I, I, I feel so strongly this, this struggle, and it some, sometimes it feels like somebody just steps into my life and says, nope, don't go there. 
that's not what Jesus does here. He, he displays a, a patience and a care with us. He, he explains the reasons why we worry and he directs us toward a remedy, even while telling us, stop it. Peace, be still. Let, let, let's read together. Luke 12, verse 22. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of much more value are you than the birds. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom. And these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Let's pray. Oh God, you know how much my soul needs this. But first and foremost, I'm just bringing my heart to you to receive your shepherding and your love, your insight and your teaching for life. God, would you speak to me? Would you speak to the arguments that are inside of me? God, the anxieties that I've brought with me. Lord, help me to see who you are in these things that we face. Lord, help all of us as we interact with your word or shine light before our path. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what are some of the reasons we experience stress? Je Jesus provides a, a few of them for us here. I, I want you to do this, right? You guys, you got, got a pen with you? All right? Extra points if you have a pen. I, I want you to do this. On the, on the back of your card, um, list out what, what are some things... Let's have a few of your favorite things, things that you feel like uh, you can't live without. You need to have with you, I don't know, if it's like the desert island scenario. Uh, what, what are some things you feel like, no matter what, I need to have these in my life? All right, I'll just give you a second to do that. All right, I'm going to take an audience poll. Anybody have one? G give me one. What you got? Yeah. Makeup. <laughs> Diego. What's that? Basketball. Reina. Cheerleading. All right. Daisy. Glasses. Abby. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. What you got, Moo? Potatoes. <laughs> Smart. Got like Irish famine solution thing happen right there. Okay, yeah. Clothes? Is that what you said? Good deal. All right, uh, now, we're on, now we're on track. Patrice, what you got? Toilet paper. <laughs> Just avoid the whole poison ivy scenario. You know, you don't want to get it there at all. Um, all right, well, raise your hand if you had some of these items on your list. Some of you did. Uh, water. Food. Uh, shelter. And clothing, we had, we had somebody say clothing, right? Uh, 
in addition to makeup, basketball, and deodorant, uh, we, we, right, these are some of the basic necessities of life that Jesus is describing here, but, but so often they don't even register at the level of concern for us. And, and Jesus is speaking into a world where some people, honestly, they, they, they weren't sure where their next meal would come from. Right? But we just we live so differently today. We have, we have so, so many in, entitlements that become a cause of anxiety for us. Uh, if you just track with, with young people that are growing up and they're, they're entering into their, their 20s, and, you know, there's the college years, and then there's, there's what's called a, uh, the quarter-life crisis, Right, so you got your traditional midlife crisis, and then about 25 now, they're identifying what's called the quarter life crisis. You know, I just read stats about teens and stress and that sort of thing. Uh, the amount of anxiety and and depression that marks this particular segment of of the population it's just a, it's just entirely new. What's going on there? Well, they, they've grown up with some pretty high expectations for what life is going to deliver what it's going to feel like, what kinds of things are they going to get to do and achieve and be noticed for and accomplish. And they, they hit 25 and 26, and it feels like, man, I'm already a loser because this plan didn't play out how I want, this, this expectation, this dream. I was always told by Disney to follow my dreams, but those have crashed and burned. You know, what is left of life at this point? Right? So, but the point is that the... The categories that we tend to get worried about, they're pretty different from the ones that Jesus mentions in this chapter here, just because culturally we're living in an entirely different world in, what, in the provision that's available to us. But that doesn't make this distant or less relevant for our lives, because there are still things that we look to for provision for wondering, am I going to have enough of that in life? And, and, and that kind of, the, the food and clothing piece, I mean, just think with me for a moment, how many advertisements do you come across that are about food or clothing, right? Add in Apple products and you pretty much got everything covered at that point, right? If a, an ad just going to pop up on Instagram as you're streaming through your feed, it's going to be some clothing item advertisement. It's going to be some restaurant that's going to be popping in there, right? So we, we, we still value these things pretty significantly. And, 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 and we have different versions of stressing out about them, right? I, I have to face the fact that you guys think I only ever wear plaid, which tonight, I'm, this is... It's not, you know, so I, I'm just here to uh, care for and love students, and I just have to get my wardrobe picked apart and made fun of whenever I confront that. So I just I come into these settings stressed out and worried about what they're thinking about my clothing, right? Uh, not, not much. But if you just kind of follow some of the narratives, you know, what, what, what are the storylines underneath those commercials and those ads that pop into your feed? It's the thought you... You can't do life without these things. You can't have value and meaning and significance unless you bring them into your world. But from the first century to the 20th century, Jesus is, is getting at this basic impulse that's inside the human heart that we tend to experience anxiety about whether or not there's enough for us. Parents, maybe that's in terms of financial provision, and there's upcoming maintenance and repairs that you are staring down, and there's just a tightening of funding that's available in your in your world, and you just have that kind of low grade freak out that's running like a little hum in the background of, oh yeah, that's coming up. Oh yeah, I'm gonna have to pay for that. I've got no idea how that's gonna get covered. Right? That this is just the reality that we all face. Uh, some of you are trying to think through college costs and scholarships and know, okay, what provision is going to be in place? What's going to be available for you to take this next step of, of your life if you're at, at that point? Uh, you know, every, every week, every time you, you face a test, you're having to wonder, okay, have I studied enough? Do I have enough inside of my brain? Do I have enough attention power in order to take this? And we all have this, this question that kind of lingers in the background. Uh, 
Uh, will people be enough for me? Will they, will they show up for me in the times that matter in my life? Do they, do they care about me? Do I have enough protection and security in place in my life? And, and what worry does in these moments is it steps in and it makes you an offer. It invites you into a conversation. It provides a sense of solution to how to handle these things. And, and, and the thought is, if I can just think about that again, if I can just run it through my mind one more time, if I can just rotate it around and make sure I've got all the angles covered, that's going to give me some better certainty, some sense that it's going to be okay. I'm safe. I'm going to be provided for. I'm going to have enough. But it's just an illusion. And this is the futility of worry that Jesus is talking about here in verse 25. In which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If you're not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? In fact, we just read a little while ago, uh, anxiety doesn't add to your life. It takes away from your life. It shortens your lifespan uh, somehow. But, but, but this is the illusion of anxiety. It, it, it makes you think that you can take control of the situations that are beyond your control by keeping them in your mind and rolling them over and feeling that inner sense of this is a problem. This needs to get addressed. That's not the way that the world works. And so Jesus brings our attention to who we are among the rest of creation. Right? He, he kind of puts us back in the world of Genesis 1. We talked about this last time. What, what, what's peace? Uh, peace is everything being where it belongs. Peace is everything being in its proper order. Right? Chaos is when all those barriers get broken and stuff is flooding over. And, and the, you know, in Noah's flood, literally the barrier between land and sea that kind of goes away for a time. That, that, that's what chaos is. But peace brings us back to there, there's a creator. There's a God who has a design and a purpose for our lives, who's intentionally at work in all of creation. He cares for things like the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. They don't have to worry. They, they, they don't have to be caught up with concern as to where their next meal is going to come from or who's going to dress them. Like God's got it. And, and there's this mysterious sense that they are responsive to their creator and are at peace. There's a book by uh, Andy Farmer titled Real Peace, and I read through a little bit of just thinking through this study that we're doing. And he talks about this picture that he has in his office of the, of the racehorse secretariat. And, and he says, in, in this horse right here, here's a horse who it, it ran faster than any other horse has ever run a mile and a half. And if you clock its times in, in, in its, its final segment of time, it is, it's speeding up <laughs> the closer it gets to the finish line. And he says, in this shot, you see a creature that seems perfectly calm. It's running its breath out, and yet it, there's a stillness that's come over it, and and that's peace, right? Peace is not no longer being active, no longer expending energy. Peace is not, uh, you know, God's going God's gonna to feed me and clothe me so I don't need to go out there and take care of anything, right? Actually, the way that God feeds the ravens is they're birds of prey. <laughs> they go out and they hunt uh, rodents and roaches and rats and all the stuff that we don't like. They go take care of that. So, you know, hooray for the ravens taking care of business. Uh, but they work and they expend effort and they do the things that they were created to do as their creator provides for them. But the exhausting race that we often run is we think that it, it depends on us to deliver and to show up 
and we're racing around in a world that doesn't have a God above us who's designed us and who cares for us and who's involved in every moment of our lives. But, but notice this thought that Jesus says in verse 23. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. And this is an idea that shows up several times in this chapter. What does life consist of? Right, what makes you say life is good right now? Because you, you, you tend to experience stress about whatever it is you define as life. At least whatever it is you define as the good life for you. And often what anxiety does, it's a bit of tunnel vision, right? It, it, it kind of collapses all of reality into one little category. Whatever's coming up next in your world, it says, this is life right now for you. And, 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 and if this doesn't come through, life is over. <laughs> Are you ever had that thought? It's like, I'm going to be ruined. Life, is, life cannot go on unless this person responds to me the way that I need to, or unless I do really well on that project, unless I'm able to, to deliver in whatever category that I'm staring down right now. And, and, and the mystery of it is, you know, that event on Friday can come and, and roll around, or that conversation you've been avoiding for forever can happen, and life moves on, and yet there's no shortage of supply of things to worry about next. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a craving that's never satisfied here. And, 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 you, and you need to learn how to pay attention to that, right? That, that, that thought that Ed Welch said, if we listen to stress... I find that people have a, they, they've got a decent handle on what they get stressed out about. But they don't really understand why. Well, why is it? Because it's a test and I got to do what? Well. But why does it feel that way for you? Well, in some way, provision in this area of life for you, it, it feels like life. And it's being threatened right now. And having that phone is being threatened right now getting to go to that event is being threatened right now and 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 you got a little bit of freak out going on either inside of you or maybe outside of you and everybody else is bearing the brunt of that right now because you have attached life to that little thing and you've narrowed everything of God and his purposes to this thing that creates demand for you um, second category that Jesus addresses in this chapter, I don't think we're going to have time to look at all of these, uh, but I want us to consider this one. Uh, people and performance, right? Provision is, will I have enough? Performance is, will, will they think I'm enough? Uh, there's some writers that describe the culture we live in as an achievement society. And, and the thought is, you know, we used to see life in what was called a, a disciplinary society, which means you had obligations, you had responsibilities, you, you should do some things. You should do the honorable thing. You should go to war for your country. You should serve your family. You should do honest work, right? That was kind of the, the values that people were writing songs about and making movies about, right? Uh, that has shifted over time, where the word should isn't used as much as can. You can be anything you set your mind to, right? Anything you want, anything you can dream, you can do it. Don't let anybody keep you down. Follow your heart. You know, the world's your own oyster. Have at it. And that seems so freeing, right? You can do anything. You guys realize this, right? It, it, it doesn't take much for that to turn in, and you better be really awesome at it too. Because if anything's possible and you can do anything that you've put your mind to, well, if, if you've not shown up and been successful and been impressive in these things, well, then there must be something wrong for you. Right? A lot of people in that quarter-life crisis I was describing a moment ago, they're, they're living in the fallout of that because they've been told, you can do anything. 
and life has slammed back in their face and said, no, you can't. <laughs> there are limitations that you confront. But what happens over, over time, you know, you start to realize, I'm not all that hot stuff. At one point, I thought I was. At one point, I believed that press. But now I realize I just don't have abilities in the categories I thought I did. So then what you try to do is you try to manage the version of you that other people see. And if they ever find the real you, if they ever find out who you really are and how you're really not all that impressive, that freaks you out more than anything. And so people carefully publish some other version of themselves that they're in control of, right? Social media is done in, in slow motion and it's done in filtered and prepared statements and it, it's not the real you. It, it's, it's, it's who you are when, when you're able to press pause on reality and say, wait, let me think of something really witty to say and then we'll press play again. But live, you can't do that, which is why people tend to retreat from all the live settings to the connected ones where I'm a little bit more in control of those factors that I feel really stressed out about. You know, Jesus actually addresses that in this chapter. Uh, he makes this really strange statement that, you know, until I read through Luke 12 a couple of times, and I, I recommend you do this. I didn't really see what the connection was. But look at verse 1. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, that, that, that sounds like a stressful moment right there. Uh, but the point is, Jesus has drawn a crowd. They are, they, are, they are eager to hear this man. They are hungry for his teaching. They find that he is somebody that has authority and that's unique. But that doesn't appeal to Jesus in the same way that it does to some other characters that are in here. And so he began to say to his disciples first, right? I know there's a lot of people surrounding us right now. And you're like the 12 head honchos in this moment. But beware, if you're going to be afraid of something, be afraid of this. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And he says, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you've said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Right? The, 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 the Pharisees were professionals at managing a public version of themselves and an inside private version of themselves. They, they, they were professionals at the compartmentalized life, at the carefully arranged presentation that makes you think, I'm a really good and impressive and righteous and godly person, but on the inside... My heart is far from God. And he says, the, the day's coming where that wall is going to go away. And everything is going to be revealed. You're going to be shown for who you really are in that day. And all that you've carefully managed in order to protect yourself is going to be hollow. It's going to be thin. And, and the word that he uses for hypocrites in the ancient world, that, that was originally a word for an actor, right? He, he's saying, beware of the actors. Beware of the people who put on a show and who wear a mask because there's more going on than what you can see. Don't try to be like them. But often, that's what makes us anxious, because we're, we're trying to figure out based on people's responses, based on their evaluation of us, how they perceive us. Do people think I'm enough? I, I was watching a really intriguing documentary. Um, it, was, it was about Jim Carrey when he played the, the character of Andy Kaufman in Man on the Moon. And uh, Andy Kaufman was a comedian and uh, just kind of somebody who never played by anybody's rules. You know, before you had internet trolls, he was kind of like troll of the world. Um, and nobody ever knew, are you serious or not? Or what, what's going on here? Is this some scheme or ploy? Or do you really think that? Um, so Andy Kaufman became Jim Carrey's idol. And uh, he, he kind of 
took after him a lot in his approach of things. And, and he, Jim talks about the time when he, when he played Kaufman for this role. And, and he did method acting, which if you're familiar with that, it's when you, you totally embody the character when, you're, when, when you're, the camera's rolling and when it's not. And so the, for this whole season of his life, he was... Andy Kaufman. And that's how he interacted with people. He did what Andy would do in certain circumstances. He responded to the director, you know, like Andy would if he's getting fed up about, about something. But that became almost a parable for Jim Carrey because he realized that's what he's done his whole life. He has performed to be somebody else. And, and, and coming out of that experience, it's like he says, I've, I've lost myself. I'm no longer Jim Carrey. That's just the name I use. That's just the location. But everything on the inside is hollow. Because over time, he realized, if I, if I do this, if I do something really extreme or weird or obnoxious, that gets a reaction. That gets a response to people. And so I'm just going to shift whoever I am based on the applause that's coming my way. And on the inside over time, he whittles away. And that's where he lands. I, I finished that just being so sad for this man. He's the one who has, has said everybody should become rich and famous so that you know it's not the answer to happiness. Right? Um, but we, we do our own little versions of this and, and we do this, we, we create our personas because people's opinions about our performance freaks us out. We, we realize we face evaluation. Ed Welch writes this, any occasion, any occasion for evaluation can be stressful. If you listen to this type of stress, it whispers, life is risky. Your most treasured dreams rise or fall on your performance. Is failure really that bad? If someone doesn't think you are great, will life rip apart at the seams? Again, you aren't sure, but you don't have time to consider it. Anxiety and fear prefer to stay on the surface rather than linger to consider something more deeply. And you're too busy anyway. If you think about these things, you will just get farther behind. But, but notice what Jesus says. Look at verse 11. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself. Or what you should say. Right? If, if there's ever a moment where, where it, it, it felt like performance is demanded of you, this is it. You, you, the scenario you described, you're called before the court and, and, and they've arrested you. And, they, and they're, you're facing sentence for following Christ. And they're asking you, why is this Jesus guy even matter to you? Why are you willing to risk your life in this morning? You, you, better, you better answer for this. You better provide some explanation for the accusations that are brought against you. Does that sound stressful? And he says in that moment right there, do not be anxious because the Holy Spirit's with you and he's going to provide for you everything you need. But that's not the only reason why. Look at, look at verse 4. What's at stake here? He presents the worst case scenario. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. He's saying the worst that they can do is kill you. Right? And, and we're typically not facing this kind of vulnerability and threat. For us, normally the worst they can do is kind of, meh, that's what they'll do to you, right? Uh, and violence doesn't typically be you know, the, the response that we're, we're having to face. But what Jesus is saying here is the worst they can do is take away your physical life. But that's not what life consists of. Life is 
more than that. It's more than the followers that you've managed. It's more than this body that you are inhabiting right now. No matter what you face, life is more than escaping ridicule or critique. It's more than defending yourself, having a persuasive answer, being shown to be someone. Because life is who you are before God. And that's where he brings us the remedy of stress. I'm going to skip that other category and bring us to a close here. Uh, People have a lot of just Google first, you know, stress relief remedies. A lot, of, a lot of things that people will suggest. There's breathing techniques. There's kind of thinking, changing the way that you're thinking about things. And there, there might be something to some of those things. How to just calm your, your body down. And you're, you're just emotionally heightened. And, and, and we, we are bodies and we are souls. And there's a physical component to how we experience all these things. Uh, but some people recommend things like blue crystals, which I don't know if that's like some version of the Tide Pod Challenge, you know, that, that'll handle your stress real fast. You don't have, you'll be worried about some other things at, at that point. But uh, what do you do? How do you cope with what worries you? And we talked about last week how we all, have, we all have the temptations that we go to and the ways we try to escape and comfort ourselves and distract ourselves with entertainment or gossip, or isolation, or, or things that, uh, that are not pleasing to God, that we, we go to instead of going to the one who has made us. What Jesus directs us to, to do here is to know who your Father is. Look at verse 30. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Can you just feel the impact of that with me for a moment? Your father knows you. He knows every concern. He knows everything that's weighing on you right now. He knows every need. He knows every secret. He knows the things that you are desperately hoping nobody else ever finds out or discovers about you. He knows. He knows your frame. He knows you're just a bunch of dust. But he knows he's taken that dust and has breathed life into who you are. He knows what life consists of. And he cares for you. I mean, there's been almost nothing in my life like being a father. And just the ache of affection and concern, the weight that I bear for my kids, for what they're going through, even in these little years of life. The, the recognition that I, I, I am in your life for a reason. I am in your life to, to provide and to direct you and to, to, to ensure that you have everything that you need. And yet there's so much limitation that touches my ability to do that. We have a father who sustains all reality by his word and knows you. And not just that, he's generous. Look at verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, right? He, he, he's got a bright future for you. That, that, that's a humbling description, right? Little flock, sheep aren't impressive people. Sheep aren't the ones charging the way and managing the plan and figuring out what's happening next. They're just kind of following along wherever the shepherd leaves, wherever he leads them. That's who we are. We're God's flock. We're his children. But he's, he's got anticipation and desire and joy to give us every good thing, to give us a future kingdom. 
Your, your future is entirely secure. I don't know if you notice this, but worry tends to be oriented towards the future. It's kind of the only category that we actually pay attention to the future about. Is whatever's coming up, we start to make predictions about how life is going to tank and how this is going to go wrong. And you're kind of like how Ed Welch describes it. If you're a worrier, you're like a false prophet. It <laughs> uh, doesn't matter how many failed predictions you've made. You're, you're ready with, hey, it's, it's just going to be terrible this week. I know it. That person's going to walk away from me. That, that bill's never going to get paid. Right? It, it, it's postured toward what's coming my way in the future. And we conclude the future doesn't look good. We've already been given the end of the story ahead of time. So notice where Jesus goes after this section. Look at verse 33. You know, what, what's your future hold? Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He's saying all your possessions, the things that you cling to, the things that you're, you're desperately holding on to and worrying, is somebody going to take them out of my hands? You just let them go. You let them fall down with blessing on the poor because everything in your future is secure. He's, he's ensured it. But the question is, does that help us? Do you feel helped to know that? Or have you just been told a, a Bible verse that's become familiar, that you've learned how to be disconnected from because where your heart is is somewhere else right where your treasure is there your heart will be also they're they're attached to each other and if, if your treasure is in god and his purposes and his plan and the eternity that is coming our way that he's purposed in christ and that's how you define life, then you realize life is okay. But if I've attached my heart, if, I, if my treasure is something here and now that I am so desperate to cling to, some stuff or some status that feels vulnerable, it feels like it depends on me to carry and maintain Welcome to a world of worry. Because that's not what God has promised us. But He has promised treasure. And He's promised to be our Father. He's promised to take care of every need that we'll ever face. So I want us to do this. Ben, if you'd come back up. Bro. I want us to sing that third song we sang earlier. And... And lean in in faith. Because if, if we are saying, Jesus, you are the treasure. There's no one like you. There's nothing else that I need. Nothing on earth that I desire but you. Everything else can fall apart. And life is good. And I am fine. Well, that's going to transform the anxiety that often plagues our hearts. Let's stand together.